This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann, I'm at Otago Polytechnic today, and I am joined by Mark Sinclair. Kia ora, Mark. Kia ora, Sam, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Where are you, Mark? Right now, I'm in my fabulous little office, um, is up the back of my garden looking out over mountains uh, in Wanaka. That sounds like a very nice place to be. Were you there through the lockdown? Well, I was. I was uh, probably twenty meters from here, but I've only just recently um, uh, built this. But um, but yes, I was in a very similar location, and I, I tell you what, I did feel very lucky to be based in such a stunning part of uh, New Zealand and indeed the world um, during the time that we were all locked away. So, how was your bubble life? Looking back a year. Yeah, so it seems a long time ago, and I, and I work with a lot of people in the Northern Hemisphere, so I, I sort of feel a little bit guilty sometimes that our life is really fairly back to normal, apart from any international travel that any of us did, um, and also apart from people dealing with tourism. But um, it was it was really interesting for me. I've, I've been um, effectively working in a sort of a... Um, a mobile bubble for 20 years. So what I mean by that is I've been um, very mobile. I've never really had a set place of work. Um, if During the periods of time that we've actually had an office in our business, which was only for about two and a half, three years, it didn't really work for us for various reasons. My colleagues are all over the world. Um, we've always used all of the available technologies. And so when lockdown happened from a working differently perspective it was actually no different for me at all in fact it was just the same the thing that changed was suddenly i had three uh colleagues around me and that that was um my wife and my two kids <laughs> and i became i became the it support person um there were interruptions that i'd not normally experienced because with two kids at school and and, and my wife working many days a week you know I'd, I'd be able to work from home or in the home office but suddenly I was only 28 paces up the hall if there was an IT problem. So um, I suppose, uh, you know, there are lots of positive things about our lockdown. Um, Probably the only frustrating thing for me was suddenly I had to adjust the way that I had been working for for 20 years. So what work do you do? So um, a range of work, but uh, the business that I founded, and we're now about 20 people globally, we deliver digital solutions. I suppose the best way to describe it is binge-worthy content, um, really engaging content um, for large businesses, um, largely in the Northern Hemisphere, but not solely in the Northern Hemisphere. And we, the thing that we try and do is we try and strengthen the relationship that these businesses have with very specific groups of people. So for some of the businesses, it might be that they need to have stronger relationships with their franchisees. And for others, it might be uh, with a group of high net worth individuals who are in their client base that they want to develop the relationship with further. Um, with others, it might be um, with their intermediary sales network. Um, every single client has sort of a different set of circumstances. But the thing that is in common amongst all of that is, or across all of that is that whatever we do is trying to strengthen the relationship that these people have um, and, you know, make our clients even more relevant to that group of people. We've found out quite a lot about the importance of relationships over the last year and about strengthening them because we, as for a while, we couldn't be part of our normal communities. 
And we're still cut off from our international communities in, in that we can't travel. But if anything, it's made us realise that those relationships are really important and we have to work on them. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, we've been lucky in New Zealand in that when we were released slowly, gradually from our bubbles, um, I think, well, certainly a lot of people that I know um, realised the value of the the social contact that they were able to have at that stage and realised the importance of community and realised the importance of family relationships and so on. And I think... Um, the other thing that's changed is the way, well, the the acceptance that people have of the ability to have long distance relationships without having somebody, you know, in your lounge or uh, having a coffee or a wine or a whiskey with you. Um, people are now way more comfortable with either starting some sort of relationship um, long distance uh, or continuing one that used to be one where you could get face to face with each other, but actually now you can only have a video call between you or even, you know, even just a standard call. Um, and I think that's that's really interesting is how adaptable we have all been as humans. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Fleetwood Mac's Go Your Own Way. Why this one? Well, it's interesting. I'm I'm the youngest of uh, four kids in our family and, and, and by quite some amount. So I grew up as a, um, you know, sort of under the age of five, I grew up with teenage siblings and that was in the sort of mid 70s there were lots of great um uh groups at that time and it was a great time for music but for some reason Fleetwood Mac um I mean you know if you ask me uh, in terms of my favorite album of all time it's Fleetwood Mac Rumours and it's probably because that was one of the albums that I heard over and over again and lots of singing um lots of good times and it's it's to do with the memories isn't the
Mark, you're used to, your business has for a long time been something that's international and you've been working with people remotely, but have has it taught you anything that's moving even more to working remotely? Have, have you learned anything from that, from the experience of the last year in terms of that, how businesses operate? Yeah, I, I mean, I've learned lots of things. I think the thing that has been the most fascinating for me from a even from a sort of a human behavior perspective is the adaptability point that I made briefly before so um, I've always moved around Um, even when I lived in the UK I used to frequently jump on a train from Bristol you know like uh, two three days a week jump on a train from Bristol to London or elsewhere in the UK I'd be working on the train I'd be working in the back of cabs I'd turn up at meetings I'd then go and spend a couple of hours working in a cafe or a client's office. So, you know, extremely mobile. But it was important for me to get face-to-face with people, um, the, particularly in sort of uh, conservative industries like um, uh, or old-school industries like financial services or professional services. People, um, they're with getting face-to-face. And... Um, and often some of the some of the key people that I was working with, particularly sort of partnering collaboratively with and, and dealing with their clients, they'd say to me, oh, you really need to get face to face. And, you know, it helps if you're in a suit. And I even had uh, one uh, key partner say to me once, look, you should wear a tie occasionally when you're meeting with these financial services companies. Um, and so there were these sort of social um, expectations that that apparently people had. Um, and I think they've been completely blown away by the pandemic. So when we all went into lockdown in our various countries, um, people were desperate still to connect, communicate, do business. Um, and, and, and in fact, you know, the added thing was, I think more people were more comfortable having personal conversations. But the, the behavior that really changed is that the physicality, the being in the same place at the same time, suddenly didn't it wasn't important anymore um and in fact some people in some of the conversations that i had because i often talk to people about this some people actually said you know what um as an organization we've decided we're dispensing with our offices or i've suddenly realized it doesn't matter you know if you're not in the same room as someone or you know other people would say look i used to do a lot of travel around europe to go and do meetings i don't need to do that anymore and it was almost like COVID, the silver lining of COVID um, is that people realized that they can still be very effective and they can still do what they need to do and they can still have that connection, but they don't have to jump on trains or planes or uh, or indeed travel long haul in order to do what they do. And I think that was that was the uh, the key thing that I observed that was really different. You're talking about how what you do is creating binge-worthy content, I think you said with a purpose, or, or it's, it's about building strong relationships. Over the, the last year, we've seen a massive increase in, well, to the start, staying at home and watching Netflix, but the that notion of you don't need to drag a watching the series out over months. It's just as good to, to binge it over a couple of nights. Has that changed, and has our relationship with that changed? How you engage people in the stories you're telling 100 percent, but that wasn't that wasn't covid related that was actually something that happened pre the pandemic so we have always looked really closely at the at the uh, what the numbers are showing us the metrics the data whatever you want to call it and there's a lot of um a lot of metrics available to us so not only can we look at across all of our clients as to how people are consuming content but we can also work with some of our uh, technology partners and in some cases they have millions or hundreds of millions of instances of communication that goes out on behalf of their clients you know per month and that enables us to from a macro perspective understand how the the consuming of content is, is changing and you're quite right you know a great example of that is with the advent of Netflix people have become accustomed to going, oh, I like this piece of content. I'm going to watch all of it now and I'm not going to sleep for 24 hours. Um, And uh, probably not so much with business content, but similar stuff happens. If you 
if you're publishing a series um, and you have various episodes available now, publish the whole lot. Promote one of them, you know, promote the um, the fantastic uh, episode that you've done with um, Sam Mann, but, um, but at the same time publish all of the other conversations because possibly, well, or probably is, is more the case, people are going to want to dig into some of the other ones. If they really like the one with Sam, they'll dig into the other five that you've done. And that's that's a real change from how we looked at content, particularly business content, even eight or nine years ago. So that's something that's changed fundam- fundamentally. Mark, you're saying that you have people scattered all around the world. Has it been challenging working with their different stages of of lockdown I, I know that people in the the uk that i've been working with have almost been impossible to work with over the last few months because they've all become so despondent has it been a challenge sort of managing those not just the technical issues of the different levels of lockdown but the the different sort of energy levels do you know so speaking of starting with our team um for a start we've had We've had some challenges, uh, or we've had people who've had some challenges. So, for example, we've had um, at least one person on the team who's had COVID um, and was very unwell and recovered, of course. Uh, well, not of course, recovered. We're, we're uh, grateful for that. We've had one person who was uh, stuck in a country away from their family for, I think it was four months. It might be longer. Um, we've had various people that have had other challenges um, as a result of COVID, and um, despite all of that, the um, the energy levels have been very positive. Um, people have been really flexible. We've, uh, you know, we've we've found that it still worked. And in fact, our own our own work has fluctuated because of the pandemic. Um, some projects were put on hold, some were canned, and we we have quite a flexible team. Um, and everybody has taken it in their stride. So from in, in terms of our colleagues, it's been, I think it's actually been a really good example, again, of human adaptability and people being positive and, and all of those things. Um, in terms of our clients, um, I've had lots of really good conversations with people, I have to say. Yep, it's been hard for some people, and particularly some of our clients in the UK have felt exasperated by the way their government has done what, what they've done or not done. Um, but we've actually had really good conversations. People have been really honest. Um, I think it's kind of lifted some of the corporate veil that used to <laughs> exist. And, and, and you know, you kind of have more human conversations with people. Um, but, you know, we've, it's, def- it's definitely had an impact on our bottom line. But that's not the only important thing in our lives. And particularly at a time when people around the world are dying or very sick, um, I feel very lucky that we can still run our business. In terms of binge watch, binge worthy content, for a while we certainly binged on the Jacinda and Ashley show. Huh. What did you take from the sort of the messaging and, and how they were building that that relationship that they built over that time? So I'm a communications professional. In fact, I'm an advocate. I started out as a as a um, commercial litigator so a commercial lawyer in, in court and then went into PR and, and ever since have been a communications person everything I do is about helping others to communicate so I, I looked at what we did in New Zealand and was constantly comparing it to what governments were doing elsewhere in the world and I have to say from a communications point of view uh, a public communications point of view it was an absolute masterclass. I mean, the, from the moment that we were um, progressively but fairly swiftly put into lockdown, the clarity of communications from the government was, you know, I'd give them a, a 15 out of 10. And when you look at, uh, by way of contrast, you look at the shambles in the US or the buffoonery in the UK, um, from a communications perspective, you know, where people were contradicting themselves frequently and and where um, there was lack of clarity. I mean, I, I saw a spoof at one stage of a, a, a um, an announcement from Boris Johnson and it was um, Matt Lucas, the guy, a comedian guy who um, 
is very well known for spoofing Boris Johnson. And he he basically did a little YouTube video that says, you, you can stay in your bubble, but leave your bubble. And if it's a Thursday, you can go and have a drink, but don't go and drink with anyone you work with. And, you know, it was just this um, very funny um, example of a, a piece of comedy taking the mickey out of how bad the communication was there. By contrast, in New Zealand, Jacinda and her team, and I presume she's got really good advice behind her. Jacinda and her team did an amazing job. She's a great communicator. Whether you agree with her politics or not, and I, you know, when I'm talking to people who I know don't agree with her politics, I say this, whether you agree with her politics or not, you cannot uh, fault the way that they communicated with clarity and the way she, she from a political and leadership perspective and uh, Ashley from a, you know, a more evidence-based scientific, here are the facts, this is what we know perspective. They, you know, they, it was a great team effort. And I think it'll be uh, an internet, it already is an international case study that people will refer back to for a long time to come. Because she does have a team around her that sort of sculpts the message as it evolves. But I think at the start of the pandemic, and this we saw the same thing after the mosque shootings, is that she came in very quickly with something that couldn't have come out of sort of focus groups. It must have come from a, a, a set of values or a, a belief of, of how to engage and how to demonstrate empathy that you, you might be cynical and think that that, you know, that was designed to elicit this response. But the fact that it came out so quickly suggests that it is actually a way of being, perhaps. Oh, 100%. She is, she is very clearly a natural communicator. She's very clearly um, authentic. You can see sometimes when she's being very careful with her communication because she knows she's getting towards a, a political cliff face or, you know, a political hot potato or whatever metaphor you want to use. But, you know, every polit every good politician should understand when they're getting um, into an area that they, that we, where they need to be very careful. But she, you know, her instinct, I think, with communication is excellent. I mean, the, the mosque thing is a, is a really great example. She didn't have time probably to have more than sort of fleeting probably in the back of a taxi um, advice from her team, I would say. Um, she would have been right in the heart of that situation before anyone drafted a press release or or keen messaging. And she get that gets that stuff right. And one of the things she does really well is when she's asked something or somebody's trying to uh, put her in, in a position where she is, is in a corner from a communications point of view, she will actually sometimes say, well, I, I don't know the answer to that or I'm not prepared to say that right now. And she's very confident when she says that. And that's the sign of a confident and sophisticated communicator. Particularly around the, the pandemic when there was a clamour for certainty, which it was, was a bit of a nonsense because it couldn't happen because we don't know what's going to happen. But there was still uh, people saying, well, we can't run our businesses unless you give us the date at which this is going to happen. And I think they did a particularly good job at managing that one, perhaps fending it off in a way that wasn't condescending. Absolutely. And, and all you have to do there is then contrast it with the same problem in the UK. So when, when the UK government was put in that position, they decided under you know, under the pressure they were getting from the public to say, well, on the 26th of June or whatever the date was, we will lift out of this lockdown and we will go back to our normal glorious lives and the pubs will be open. And then they had to retract that later. And the, um, the sense of disappointment for many and the sense of being told something that they couldn't rely on, so how can we trust these people again, I think was quite significant as a result of that. Um, whereas over here, they, I think Jacinda and her team really tried not to make promises that couldn't be kept. And if they had to change anything, we got early warnings that change might happen and this might last a bit longer or, you know, this thing might not go as we thought it might. So that, you know, the, the communication styles, when you compare the great case study of New Zealand and some other countries where there's pretty bad um, communication, um, it's a really interesting um, 
I think there's some some of your colleagues at, at uh, universities around the world will be using this for quite some time to come. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha noe, kia koutou, koutou, I hope you're all having me stay, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. Now I know that for all of us we've been through a very challenging time together and we still are and for many of us all over the world we're in the midst of this global pandemic. For us here in Aotearoa New Zealand of course we're very very fortunate and we're frolicking about in relative freedom while still scanning our QR codes and washing our hands and be very careful. And Harvey Penfold and I are about to make a journey to beautiful Wanaka this weekend where we are going to host a workshop on bird feeding which of course I'm very passionate about supporting our native birds to survive and thrive especially in these colder winter months that we are experiencing right now and for me venturing forth into a new location is always a very interesting and stimulating activity as I know it is for all of us and as a species of course we're so inclined towards exploration and towards the new we are neophilic and we love the new. This is tempered, of course, by neophobia and fearing the new and the different, but we can find a good balance, I'm sure. And in heading to Wanaka, I'm really looking forward to meeting new people and engaging with new realities. We will be hosting these workshops at the new Mitre 10 in Wanaka, who we've worked with a lot. And of course, Mitre 10 is all about bringing new creations into being in our homes and our gardens so seeing how this can be done in terms of bird feeding will be very exciting so i really hope for you whatever's happening in your universe you have the opportunity to usher in the new and to welcome the new whether it is acknowledging that the days are getting longer the light is returning our beautiful planet is rotating and facing towards the sun for longer periods of time all these things are happening and with this resurgence of light and life of course within us all there can be a resurgence of light and life with aspects maybe that have been in the shadow and the darkness over the last few months there's always an opportunity of course when we are not having to physically travel but mentally emotionally spiritually intellectually travel with our beautiful gift of a consciousness we really can go anywhere and do anything with this consciousness and so of course when we're coming in contact with, with other life forms this is an adventure this is an opportunity for the new to be celebrated and this show something i love about the show of course is that every episode we are encountering a new reality and new ways of doing being seeing feeling are being celebrated and honored so i really hope for you you're having the opportunity not only to encounter the new and others when you interact with them, whether they're a beautiful black cat sitting with you while you have a bath or a beautiful tree springing forth, a lovely bird song in the air, a cloud or another human animal, whoever it is. I really hope the new can be welcomed and appreciated by you, but also that your new realities that you are configuring every moment as you take each breath recalibrating and and learning constantly presenting a new perspective based upon every moment leading up to this one i hope that your new realities new understandings are being celebrated and supported also and i really hope that the stories that we have been telling ourselves, of course, for hundreds of thousands of years, as they are reinterpreted over and over to be new. I hope that you are finding these, these stories each day which are supporting you and giving you hope and inspiration. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You are listening to Blowing Bubbles. I'm talking with Mark Sinclair. Mark, we've seen lots of changes in society over the last year. 
What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Um, that's a good question. And I, I think I've been thinking about this long and hard. Um, I think as a result of um, both the pandemic and the um, and, and various sort of world events around climate change, I think uh, the environment, if I could use you know a label for a very big topic, um, is going to be uh, a top-level concern and consideration for a very, very wide range of people throughout society. And, and in fact, I think the vast majority of people now from very different walks of life have that as a key concern. They realise um, that we're in a, a difficult and challenging period of human history and that um, time is very short to do the right thing. And I think it's a good thing that people are focused on this to the extent that they are. You're talking about things like climate change. What lessons do you think we can take uh, for the those bigger sorts of questions that we can't solve by staying at home for a few weeks? Things like climate change, social justice, biodiversity collapse. You don't want to, to surround the conversation with too many negative things, but we don't want to be deluded either. So other lessons in how we've responded for those bigger questions? Oh, absolutely. I think there's, um, I think there are lessons from uh, our resp- our response as a country to COVID, and and you you hear people saying this. Um, I've seen it written, and I've I've heard people saying it. You know, look how we responded to COVID as a country. Look what we were able to achieve. Let's put the same focus on um, the challenge of climate change and 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 what's happening to the planet. Um, and and you know, I've heard that beyond New Zealand as well with people pointing back to New Zealand as an example. Let's let's get our act together and and sort this out. I think there's also, uh, there's been changes in the way people communicate with each other. And I think we've seen a, and I'm not sure whether this is necessarily linked to the pandemic, it's probably linked more to, um, you know, the bushfires and storms and all of the other things that we've seen more recently. But there's been a rise in, I'd call it positive activism, you know, people saying, enough, let's sort this out. No, we're not taking the status quo. Um, we're changing our behaviour, we're changing our buying behaviour, we're changing what we are going to put up with, um, and we're changing as individuals. Um, so, you know, let's uh, have some positive impact on on our future. And, and And that kind of activism from people who normally wouldn't regard themselves as activists has been a very positive thing. Where do you see the balance in terms of getting people engaged and building those relationships, not just with each other, but with concepts and, and um, movements of the, the, the showing the, the threat, the, the bad news, if you will, and the, the good news, the, the, the solution, the positive angle? Oh, I think, um, I think both are needed. I, I was going to say an equal measure. I'm not sure whether it's actually scientifically equal measure or 48 parts one and 52 the other or whatever, but both are needed. Um, and sometimes I've been involved in some, in some stuff where we've, we've um, in the community where we've had to outline the, the danger or the threat or the challenge. Uh, and in doing so, more people have come on board because they suddenly see how imminent and, um, and, and terrible that thing could be. Um, but also you're quite right that, you know, the, the positive and the way forward and the alternative way of doing things should also be painted at the same time. So I think it depends what you're talking about and it depends on people's level of knowledge about the challenge. So with the example of climate change, um, I don't think we, you know, any longer, I don't think we need to, to um, talk in great detail about how vast swathes of forest are burning down in North America and, and, and Australia and and in Brazil because people know that. We see it, it's on the mainstream news over and over again. And um, you know, here in here in Wanaka, um uh just a few months ago we had uh, over New Year we had, you know, pea soup fog and and sort of almost Martian like um atmosphere because of the the direct um smoke 
um, and atmospheric impacts from fires in Australia. So people people get that. You might need to allude to it. You might need to remind people and say, hey, look, you know, these world events like the fires in Australia, blah, blah, blah. But um, you no longer need to paint a grim picture because people get it and they see the floods elsewhere and they they see, you know, a pipeline burning off Mexico and they get that we're, as humans, we're making some pretty pretty bad mistakes. But there might be other examples of things where you do need to educate people um, and you do need to go into a level of detail. And I've been involved in some things where that is the case. And um, and I think it's important to lay the facts out for people and let them then decide what the right thing to do is. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Stone Roses, I Want to Be Adored. Why this one? Um, I've got a really eclectic um, taste in music and this one again it's about memories for me so I spent five years at university um, in Dunedin and at the time that I was there um, Stone Roses was was um, in fact Stone Roses Stone Roses was one of the albums that um, that I played over and over and heard over and over and I just love this song it's a great one to, to sing out loud to particularly out of tune in your car if you're driving somewhere um, and it's uh, for me it's a classic
Mark, you were in Dunedin earlier in the week and you're back in Wanaka now. How did the electric car go? Oh, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Way better than I expected. And I'll tell you why. And I've heard other people say this as well. Apart from the fact that um, a little, you know, a little Nissan Leaf is a really nice little car to drive. Um, there were two things. One was I was kind of in awe at the technology. I, you know, I kept thinking as I was driving through the through the hills initially to um, to Lawrence and then and then over the hills towards Roxburgh. I was thinking, wow, you know, these are not little hills, um, and I'm in a car that is completely powered by a battery, and that is. That in itself is pretty awesome, and I, I love, I love when technology. Well, you know, the platform we're on at the moment, Sam, is another example. You're in, you're in Dunedin, I'm in my little office um, up in the in the backyard, and we're having a conversation that's recorded, and you can do wonderful stuff with it. And you know, there are technologies all around us that are super cool. So that was the first thing. Second thing was, I loved the, I loved the um, the slowness that it created. In the journey, the journey itself wasn't slow, um, but having to stop and um, and replenish the battery a couple of times. In fact, I chose to do it three times because I wanted to test certain parts of the journey for various reasons. But having to stop, re- refill the battery, have a cup of coffee, and maybe a bite to eat was awesome. I stopped in, in Lawrence. I often stop in Lawrence for about thirty eight seconds. <laughs> to uh, you know, to get a water or or go to the loo or whatever, um, I stopped in Lawrence for thirty one minutes, and I went to a lovely little cafe that I've never been to before, and I will probably stop there many times in the future. As a result, it's good for Lawrence, it's good for me, um, and I'll tell other people about it. So um, the EV has created that. But I also stopped in Roxburgh um, and in Cromwell, and in each of those places, I did things that I normally wouldn't do, and I think it's. You know, I'm still driving a car and driving at 100k an hour or whatever when when I'm out on the open road. But I think um, it's a little bit of an evolution in the way we get from A to B. Um, you know, and even down to having to allow a bit more time and having to allow for mm, if I get to this charging station and somebody's hooked up for half an hour, that means I'm going to be in this town for an hour. Those aren't bad things. They're actually really good things. And maybe that's the sort of travel that we're going to do on a global scale once we're allowed to travel again. Maybe we won't be popping to Sydney for the weekend. We'll take longer to do these sorts of things. I think there will be uh, large groups of people who think that way. And then there'll there'll be the elite few who are happy to do uh, multiple trips to Sydney for weekends every year, you know, or, or... uh, other equivalents depending on where they live um, but I think I think the majority of people will swing towards the more responsible um, level of travel and transportation. Mark I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time so we shall have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, being part of the team that won the case to stop Wanaka Airport being turned into a jet airport. That sounds like a worthy thing to do. Yeah, it was a it's a it was a really important thing to do for the community and for the country and the planet. And um, yeah, I was really pleased to be part of that and really pleased that it went really well for us. So long as one doesn't turn up at Taras instead. <laughs> Don't say the T word. <laughs> um, yeah, there there is Taras and there are people mobilising on that one, and I think uh, that will be equally successful. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Oh, how exciting. Gosh. Um, I uh, um, Communication. I, I, I love communication. And I think um, if you can do communication more effectively, you can achieve a lot more. So I don't think I've got a superpower, but I do love um, communicating well and i think it's um it's helped me to do a few things you might not think you've got a superpower and of course that's the that's the twist in it is that it's not really a superpower it is the things that people do but that's what we need to be bottling that's what we need to be you know frankly teaching those sets of things that are the things that that enable people to make the difference 
Indeed, and I think um, I think for people who are sort of at the beginning of their their journey in life, or professionally, or you know, vocationally, or what have you, um, it's really important. The, the thing that I learned early, and it's it's really worked well for me, is there's all the stuff about self belief, believe in yourself, but um, but but be you and do what you think is right, and have confidence that. Um, that you've made the right choices. You may not always get it 100% right, and you may learn when you don't, but actually most of the time our instinct and the way we are is the right way to be rather than trying to be something that we're not. So we talked before about positive activism and activists. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Interesting question. I've thought about this a lot recently. Um, in in the in the sort of the previously understood definition of activist, no, I don't chain myself to bulldozers. Um, but yes, I absolutely am, and a lot of people I know are. And I think this is the point I was making earlier: is many of us are standing up to uh, bad behaviour now and saying no, enough. And um, and I think if you do that, you are an activist. You're taking action, and you're um, trying to bring other people with you. Does that mean that you need to climb up trees and and uh, and and drop big banners? Not necessarily, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, but yes, I'm definitely an activist. So, what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, lots of things. Um, I get a kick out of seeing things work. I get a I get a kick out of helping people. Um, I love to see my family making progress and whatever's important to them. Um, and I absolutely, I mean, I'm looking out the window now. I absolutely love the fact that when I get out of bed in the morning, given where we live, there's this changing, stunning, magic landscape that even on the the most horrible of days when the weather's all clagged in can just look like something out of a, a Harry Potter movie or a Lord of the Rings movie. And, um, and it changes every single day. So what challenge or perhaps opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or two? I've got, um, we've got two teenagers um, and I think, um, I think there are lots of challenges in the world. So helping them navigate the world is really important. And I've got some uh, health and fitness goals, I suppose, that I have for myself that I'm looking forward to achieving. I've been focusing on other aspects of my life probably a bit too much uh, in the recent past. So um, getting more fit and keeping my mind nice and healthy is um, going to be really important. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yeah, I do. I think, and this is something that I alluded to before, I think um, the, the whole thing of being yourself and probably speaking up if you if you feel that something is going on around you that doesn't align with the way you fundamentally are or what you believe about the world, speak up, tell people, and you know, in in the extreme, complain, shout, um, go you know, go to meetings and do something about it. But at least speak up to those around you, and you'll be surprised how many other people are feeling uncomfortable and want to change something. Mark, thank you very much for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. I'll be uh, listening to other people's um, episodes, probably more than I'll listen to my own, um, <laughs> with interest. Nothing.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.